everyone. Welcome to Desk Doodles episode 15. I'm your host, Sapna Malhotra. Imagine when you were a little kid. Do you remember uh, you trying to reach that jar of cookie on the top shelf in your kitchen? You stretch your arm as far as you can. You go tippy-toe and still you can't reach it. It's just this short of getting to that jar. And you're so disappointed and sad. Or imagine when you were a little kid and you were trying to pluck that mango off the branch of a tree and the branch was swaying in the breeze and you jump, you jump with all your might and still you're this short of getting that mango. Now imagine that same picture and in the first one, somebody puts a little footstool there for you to climb up and get to that jar of cookies and instant joy, so much of happiness. Or in the second picture, your dad puts you on his shoulder to give you that little support and help for you to reach that mango and you pluck it. There's instant gratification. There's so much of joy and that sense of achievement. In life, all of us encounter situations wherein we feel that uh, even though we give our utmost we give our ultimate effort to that uh, and we are still falling short. We do not reach that goal and we end up feeling very sad and uh, demotivated. Imagine feeling that same disappointment, demotivating feeling and that sadness every day. It would generate so much of, uh, I guess, stress, sometimes frustration and so much of sadness. I think that is very much similar to what some of the kids who face difficulty in learning may be feeling on a daily basis in classrooms. And it's a relief to know that there are people around us who can lend them that little shoulder for them to get that support to reach their goal. They can lend them that little footstool to climb up and achieve that goal and be happier children. Today on Desk Doodles, I have a guest who has been doing this, has been lending that shoulder, providing support to children who have encountered difficulty in learning for the past 20 years. He is the coordinator of Brindavan uh, After School Remedial Center in Bangalore. Without further delay, Please let us welcome Ms. Jayashree Ranjana Hale. Welcome, Jayashree. Thank you, Sapna. Thank you. It's a delight to have you here today and looking forward to an amazing conversation with you. Same here. So, uh, Jayashree, tell us, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came to be where you are and, uh, you know, uh, about a little bit about Vrindavan uh, Center so tell us a little bit about your story. Well, um, like I always like to say, uh, I don't think I had planned to be where I am today. I stumbled into this and all thanks to my younger daughter, uh, who I was able to identify as uh, being dyslexic when she was in grade two. I mean, I had done my master's in psychology and uh, I didn't have a clue what was happening. You know, she could not read, she could not spell. And um, then she herself came out one day when she saw me so anxious and said, uh, Ma, there are six others in my class also who cannot read like me. And there it was, first lesson, where the child knows what is the difficulty. So then we went through the whole process, which we're going to talk about uh, later in this uh, podcast. And, um, uh, enrolled her into remedial classes. So then I ended up working with uh, the resource room in the Valley School, Bangalore, where she was studying uh, as a special educator. So I literally dived into the field. Then following that, um, a stint over there, then a stint with a mainstream uh, school, which had uh, quite a big population of children as a special educator and a counselor. Uh, where I initiated the setting up of the resource room to help children with learning difficulties. And then uh, I stepped out to join 
the Brindavan Education Trust, which is one of the pioneering institutions in the field of special education today. And uh, we, I'm really proud to say that my colleague, uh, Anita Yadalam and me, uh, we have been able to set up uh, one of the biggest after-school remedial centers where we have even touched a number of 100 children coming every day over three sessions for 45 minute sessions each. Apart from that, Brindavan uh, has a, a full-time program for children who have severe difficulties. So we have the junior center, the senior center, the pre-vocational center, and these children are all uh, uh, trained and tutored to appear for the NIOS, the National Open School, or the State Board. So that is uh, in a nutshell about Brindavan. And uh, later on, uh, I think from 2010, um, we uh, have started the uh, teacher training program, the Diploma in uh, Understanding the Child with Special Needs. And um, I've been teaching on that program also and uh, got a chance to mentor a lot of uh, budding special educators. So now Brindavan has uh, three courses. We have the parent course, we have the uh, early years inclusion course for the preschool children, and we have the school for uh, the course for the uh, SLD, that's the specific learning difficulties. And we even hosted uh, the masters from the University of Northampton for uh, uh, six batches. Um, it ended unfortunately just last year, so we have uh, had about 75 uh, master's graduates, all specialized in special and inclusive education, and uh, six uh, uh, PhDs out of uh, which two have already got their doctorates just this month. So Vrindavan is really there, you know, happening. And um, uh, that's where I am today. Absolutely amazing, um, Jayashree. And to uh, hear that you're where you are is all because of your own daughter and such a pride, such a proud feeling for you as well, because you were there to help her and now you're helping so many children, uh, you know, uh, get that support and get that help. So amazing journey, amazing experience. So uh, Jeshi, let me put the big question today that I want to first, share, uh, you know, ask you is that what is that right time for remedial uh, education? What is that right time to put children uh, through that remedial intervention and, uh, or is there something like that? Is there a right time that needs, it needs to be put? Well, I'd say um, the right time is right when you see the problem. And uh, I would use the dictum of uh, prevention is better than cure because the cure is very difficult, meaning, uh, some children exhibit some signs of learning difficulties uh, when they are three, when they are four, and so on. Late onset of speech is one uh, very marked uh, red flag that we need to look out for. Um, so when we see children who are having uh, difficulty in speaking, in coordination, movement, uh, in being able to respond to uh, you know, cues or uh, initiate uh, conversations, play with other children, um, then I would say that it is better to make sure that you do whatever is needed for these children because we have uh, regularly seen that when a child between the ages of three to seven shows any signs, there's like whole checklists which are there, where you can look, uh, look up and see what is the uh, you know, um, situation or the present level of that child, then immediately it is better to start remedial intervention. In this case, we would say early intervention and uh, start the remediation process because uh, you know, the child is still very small and uh, you can mold the child or you can help the child to imbibe certain processes which become difficult to do when the child is much older later on. So uh, we would call these children at risk, you know, in inverted commas, I would say, at risk for developing specific learning difficulties. So there is also less curriculum there. And uh, of course, 
this uh, developmental period below the age of seven is one where you see a lot of rapid changes happening in children. And uh, though we do have the milestones, they are not fixed because each child would uh, move at his or her own pace. And uh, sometimes children move very slowly with some of the milestones and some move quite fast with some. So there is a scatter in the development of children. So we cannot like pinpoint and say, just because the child didn't do this at this age, the child has a problem. So some children take a little time, but we cannot sit back very complacent and say, okay, you know, in my house, everybody spoke late. So it's okay if the child doesn't speak, even if the child is five years old. No, that's not happening. So um, those are things that we have to keep in mind. So the earlier, the better, because once a child goes into, uh, say, first grade, second grade, where nowadays we have such a lot of curriculum, the movement is like, you know, walking with uh, your feet in two carts. You know, you're standing on two things. One is the remedial intervention, and the other one is the curriculum. And both cannot move at the same pace. And what will happen if it doesn't move at the same pace, you'll fall. So the earlier, the better. When there is no curriculum, then you know you can really make headway with the child. But it's okay even if you've missed that uh, early intervention window, it is still mm -hmm. not too late. Because we even get children who are in ninth grade at times coming in for the first time. So there is never any like what is the best time, but I would say the earlier the better. Early intervention is the key to a good prognosis for the child to you know, move ahead with all the skills. And I think I gather that from what you're saying that even if it might not have manifested itself in a big way even those small little things should be picked up should be uh, uh, you know made sure that you are noticing those and that, that could help in the diagnosis later that could help in the evaluation of the child later and uh, definitely mean, yeah so the parents and i feel that even if the child is going to a play school and uh, as teachers as whatever grade you are teaching even if you're with the absolute babies then every teacher, every uh, person who's in close proximity to children should always just be aware that maybe this was not really, you know, no, uh, something that happens at this age, or maybe this needs to happen at this age, those kind of things. Definitely, the parents, the children, whoever are the stakeholders in the child's life are the ones who will be able to spot. See, in my case, the school did not really think there was anything radically wrong with my daughter. You know, they said, no, no, she's in her own world, you know, let her, uh, you know, come out of it and all. But I uh, had this gut feeling that something isn't right, you know, so that is when I took the initiative. So we have a mixture, sometimes referred by the school, sometimes the parent notices, sometimes uh, maybe the art teacher, if the child is going to an art class, notices and says, no, I think you need to go and do that. So, you know, there are things like uh, speech is not very clear or uh, the child is uh, uh, having confusion with B and D, you know, reversal of different letters and, so, you know, those not able to grip a pencil properly, even at the age of six. I'm saying six because nowadays children are pushed into doing all the things that they're not ready for in the name of education. Okay, like right from three years old, you'll see them. Of course, Montessori is a different uh, system where everything is done in a very uh, methodical manner where the child is not stressed. But in the regular, uh, you know, play school and, you know, mainstream where you say, uh, okay, this is what the child has to be able to do, then, you know, it's not the fault of the child, it's the fault of the system. The system is what needs to be looked at over there. Absolutely. I think if, uh, every little sign needs to be looked into. And uh, so when we are talking about all of this, let me ask you one thing, Jayashree, what do you think is the biggest hurdle that comes in the way of, uh, you know, detection of uh, uh, learning difficulties? Um, you know, is it is it to do with uh, at home? Is it to do at school? What is it that, you know, we are not able to catch them young and give them that support that is needed? Um. See, numbers in a particular class, okay, numbers in the classroom, 
is one thing which is very important. Imagine if you have 40 or 50 young ones in one class. If you are not a dedicated teacher who is able to notice and document every child's progress, then you're definitely going to miss out. Then um, there are uh, instances where the school or the teacher has been very watchful and very alert and uh, found that there is something that is not okay with the child and tells the parent that you do have to go and meet somebody because something's not okay. The parent may not be willing to accept. It can happen in both ways. Parent may be saying something's not okay with my child and the teacher may say or the school may say, no, no, everything's fine. Or the school may point out, but the parent would not. And I have seen, uh, and being a parent myself, what I would say is, um, you know, acceptance is something that's very difficult for every parent. Uh, I would say that, you know, we tend to see our children as extensions of ourselves. And when something is not okay in that extension, then we feel it's reflecting on us. And many times we have parents who come to us and say, uh, you know what, um, I, I think I neglected my child. I didn't give proper attention. I was caught up with this. That's why my child has a problem. And uh, being a special educator is a double role. You know, you not only have to work with the child, you have to work with the parent. And I have seen that however difficult However, um, you know, uh, in denial the parent is, sticking with the parent, holding the parent, walking with the parent all through, and winning the parent over to your side is what really helps the child to progress. So it's like uh, many times, you know, we say when there are severe signs, you know, there are some children who have uh, ASD, which we call as the autism spectrum disorder, which is a communication disorder or uh, ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity, which is very, very clear signs. Though, you know, we have to get out of the habit of saying, this child is hyperactive. Parents will come and say, my child is hyperactive, not knowing the, you know, what the term implies. So then we say, go for a formal assessment. And uh, for sometimes for smaller children, when the signs are very clear, we ask them to go for a formal assessment. And, uh, or if we have worked with a child for some time based on informal evaluation, and we're not able to make a breakthrough, then also we say, please go and get an assessment done. And, uh, you know, we have places like uh, the Nimhans Child Guidance Clinic, or we have the CCDD, which is the Center for Child Development and Disabilities headed by uh, Dr. Nandini Munkur uh, in Maleshwaram, Bangalore. So uh, places like that where they have a whole team which will assist the child on all the parameters and uh, rule out what is not there and help us to identify what we need to work on because sometimes that's very important and it's needed. So parents will not go for that. And we know that they will come back to us. And sure enough, three years later, with magnified manifold symptoms, difficulties, the child comes back. And it's very sad. I think that is, that is so, um, in a way, it's very natural, like you said, for parents yeah. to accept it in the beginning because it just feels that, no, I think it's all fine. It's just that, you know, he's been behaving like this. But it, there's nothing, basically, there's nothing off the charts here. But uh, I guess the earlier the acceptance, the earlier you're able to help that child get that support that is needed. And yeah. I think even from the child's perspective, he will be a happier child if, uh, uh, you know, the parents accepted it and not took it upon themselves more of, you know, that it's maybe because of my neg negligence or something like that, like you mentioned. Um, in fact, I also feel, uh, Jeshri, I wanted to ask, like in India, it's such a, you know, diverse culture we have. We have uh, children speaking, so, growing up speaking so many languages and they end up uh, learning or uh, educating themselves in a language which is not their mother tongue. Do you think uh, because of all these uh, confusions also, uh, a lot of uh, times children go undiagnosed and uh, it's not caught uh, uh, these uh, difficulties of learning? Um, see, that's a very debatable, uh, debated topic about, uh, you know, um, the child is not picking up in school because you don't speak English at home. That I, I don't agree with that because, um, see, early childhood is the time when 
a lot of vocabulary development happens. So whether it is English or whether it is Hindi, Telugu, Kannada, whatever language, it's important that the child continues to you know, develop the language. And once the proficiency is there in one language, then the automatically you can start to introduce another language. And children are so open to it. We are the ones who restrict them. And nowadays we have uh, parents where, you know, they're not able to speak English very well, but they'll still insist on speaking in English to the child. And um, we feel that, uh, I feel that the child has got to be encouraged. See, research has shown that children who are multilingual have more advantages than children, you know, who are not multilingual. So if there is an opportunity for the child to, you know, develop the vocabulary and, you know, be able to communicate in one language properly, then you can introduce it. So if the child is in, maybe he's about five years old and in the school, uh, the concern is that the child is not able to, uh, you know, speak in English properly. So now you can, uh, the child knows in the mother tongue, whatever it is for, you say, for table or door or chair or milk or water, whatever it is. Now start to introduce parallelly the English words for that so that the child knows what am I asking for? When the child is saying milk and not knowing what milk is, doesn't make sense. But if you say, okay, dood, and then say dood means milk, this is another name for it. So that way you can, you know, develop it. Because uh, from the age of three upwards up to seven, the uh, speech language specialists will tell you that uh, the vocabulary increases in thousands. That is why uh, the proper development of speech at the right age is important. Till two and a half, if the child is not speaking two letter words, not started speech, whatever, you really have to consult you. And there are a lot of uh, ways in which you can uh, stimulate the speech development because vocabulary is connected to comprehension. And then comprehension vocabulary will be connected to written expression. So it's all interlinked. And even if even if the child is uh, learning in a language which is not his mother tongue, so if he's having a problem with that, I'm sure he would be having a problem with his mother tongue as well. The expression or yes. it would yes. it would manifest in whichever language he is, uh, you know, talking in or expressing in. So if um, talking about that, I just like to add one more thing. See, we very often have uh, children where uh, they are having difficulty not only in English, but in the second language and the third language. And the parents are very concerned and they say, you know, why don't you people teach English and uh, Hindi and Kannada also? So we tell them that, no, we would focus on the medium of instruction, which is English. And then we would look at if it's possible for that. But there are cases where some children are very good with second and third language in terms of spelling and you know reading because you know those languages are very straightforward and phonetic you know key is key wherever you see unlike english where put is put and but is but so it's the language that is the issue also right so uh, you were mentioning earlier also uh, for evaluation of student if we talk about only that part so as parents, do you need to go to specific clinics only to get your child evaluated and uh, get uh, assessments done? Or your educator or the special educator that your, uh, chi your child is getting help from, uh, is it okay to get assessments done from them also? Um, see, uh, first we talk about identification. That is, uh, there are certain benchmarks which all special educators have and which all mainstream teachers should have, according to me. Because, see, uh, special educators are only this much, but the need is this much. So the uh, population of mainstream teachers is so large. So if the special educators can sensitize the mainstream teachers, then, you know, it's going to be so uh, easier, the job, because a lot of the mild uh, cases can be dealt with in the classroom itself and not needing, uh, you know, to send the child out. So uh, the special educator would have certain uh, benchmarks to look for and identify the child as having some difficulty. Then uh, the usual procedure is to call the parent and explain to the parent as to what is the problem that the child is facing. And with the parent's consent, start the remediation. But before that, 
an informal evaluation, informal educational evaluation is what we would call, which most special educators uh, should be able to do. But uh, uh, we would say that uh, there are certain people who are very good at uh, doing the assessment, the informal assessment. Uh, it should be a special educator or a psychologist who could do this. And uh, we use certain um, uh, tools uh, for assessment. And uh, based on that, we would give a report, which would uh, outline the child's uh, abilities, the strengths and the needs uh, in each area. And we would also be able to give suggestions. So the assessment report, which you get from a special educator, the informal one, should be a very comprehensive one, which should right away tell the teacher or the special educator working with the child, what do you need to do? What is this? What are the uh, you know strengths and needs that this child has? So that's very important, uh, you know, important step. So that definitely helps even for children in the early intervention uh, uh, period. That is the three to seven. We do have certain uh, uh, tools that we use uh, to see, and because there are certain skills which should have developed by that particular age, age appropriate skills as we call them. So once you do that as assessment then you know where you need to work instead of just you know starting to work one thing to keep in mind is that remediation is a very individualized process no one program can fit all children each child even if the children uh, are working in small groups of maybe two or three as we, uh, we recommend because uh, you know uh, it's like uh, the remedial session is a micro session and the classroom is a macro session so what you learn in the micro has got to spill over into the macro that's the whole intention over here but you may have three children one age seven one age nine and one age 14 and all three are working with you at the same time but all have their own individual education plan or the iep as we call it which is very important i think that's I think the key to why children need remediation, because it is such an individualized program, like you said, it is all based on the research uh, for that particular child. The teacher, the yeah. educator has invested time and effort in understanding what exactly the child needs, where the child is and how I can bring that child up to what is required of that age. And also because when that remediation starts, uh, between the uh, educator and the parent, I think that relationship is so important for that feedback and the assessment to go back and forth because you have to work in conjunction with each other. That is, I think, the utmost, uh, the most significant part in, uh, um, you know, helping that child as well. I would call that as uh, the triangle where the parent, the special educator, and the other professionals who are involved because there may be a speech therapist, there may be, uh, you know, somebody who's doing occupational therapy also, and the school. All three have got to be on the same page. Otherwise, you know, the expectations, uh, the inputs, everything is going to put the child into more confusion. So it's very important for all three to work in sync. Absolutely. And like you said, because this micro program has to spill into the macro. So the teacher who is in that macro system also needs to understand what yes. that child is, the program, what uh, that child is going through. And also yeah. I, I, uh, I feel that that is also requiring more understanding inside that environment uh, from that teacher towards that child. And uh, so the other day, in fact, Jayashree, this reminds me, I was uh, reading about uh, a Finnish school in, in uh, you know, in Finland. And uh, so they were talking about remediation and they, they had something called a sensory room inside the mainstream school. And it was so beautiful to see. And I was watching that video that the children, so they, the teacher was telling that once a uh, day, during the day, they take the children there, maybe in groups of two or three. And that room has their different stations. So there's one light station. So the children just go and bang on the wall and there are different lights that come up. And then there are those swiggly ropes and the children just go and, you know, they're uh, playing with those ropes. There are bouncy balls and the children are bouncing around. 
and there was something like a crash pad so it's like a soft cushion and the children just fall on that so she was saying that all the children they just get to release the emotions that are you know just pent up inside them and once they do that once they come to terms with that and they the whole uh, mind and body coordination is in sync and then they come back to the classroom and they have so much of focus and they're able to you know give their uh, you know uh, utmost focus to that uh, whatever the teacher is teaching and i found that was such a wonderful way of uh, you know bringing the whole thing together inside a mainstream school itself in fact uh, what i really always emphasize is that uh, um, to mainstream teachers particularly is that there are no special methods that are meant to only teach special children all these methods can be used with all children to accelerate learning to make it more enjoyable i remember you know when uh, i was working in the valley and uh, we would have children uh, coming past and saying um, when is my turn going to come because they said i said why do you want to come and they would say you do such fun things i also want to come there so uh, children have no inhibitions and no you know things like okay i shouldn't go there i shouldn't go here and so on and uh, when you make worksheets and all that children who are neurotypical who don't uh, who are supposedly neurotypical because i feel that all children have some areas which are not as strong as the other areas they also enjoy these so you know like the example that you gave if imagine if all children started doing all of these from the beginning so many of the children with mild and even some with moderate issues would all be taken care of so that's uh, how we would want an inclusive you know education environment to be and i think also uh, i really love the part that you know it wasn't like there was a name tag given to one or two or three or four children yeah. it was like everybody go, going in groups of three four and then coming back so right. it's like everybody is going there wasn't a spotlight on you know few children and sometimes i think those name tags that the children get oh that kid is going through because children are not uh, you know they they they're not born like that and once we start giving those tags then it starts growing in their mind oh maybe he's different because he's going for that class but otherwise if you send all children like that they will be happy to have one on one conversation with their teacher sitting next to oh, their yes. teacher and you know talking because that's what children love doing of course that's bonding with the teacher is so important and it's a very therapeutic process takes care of a lot of things yeah. so uh, moving forward from there uh, jayshree uh, like you mentioned that there are special clinics that uh, and um, organizations that can assess children now the assessment diagnosis is one part of it we need it because there is something called exemptions available for children who are having difficulty with learning and uh, i would like you to share with us and please inform us a little bit what all is available for children out there um when we see that uh, there are children who are having uh, difficulties with learning um when we talk about difficulties with learning difficulties or ld or specific learning difficulties because the difficulty is specific to a particular area that's why it's called as sld or specific learning difficulties um we do the informal assessment and we start working with the children or sometimes many children uh, who are maybe mild and some who are quite severe also they sort of slip through the net and are not identified so when the child is identified and then the child uh, moves up into higher grades certain subjects start to become difficult now before going on i'd like to uh, clarify what we do in remediation so we work on the basic skill areas which are the basic skills that are needed to tackle any subject now when there is a parent who comes to me the first time and says uh, okay this is like tuition i say no this is not a tuition because we would not be doing all the school lessons so the example i give them is uh, to in order to be able to run you have to be able to walk right you have to know how to walk so here you have to be able to read spell write calculate you know comprehend speak understand what somebody tells you follow instructions all of these are needed in order to tackle the curriculum right 
So, um, for instance, uh, we have sight words. And uh, sight words, we have about 220 words, which form almost half the content of any given uh, reading matter. And if the child is proficient with sight words, then half the job is finished there. So what we uh, uh, say, do is we work on the basic skill areas of these reading, writing, spelling, written expression, handwriting, math, and so on. So that um, whatever the child doesn't know, the gaps are being filled, you know. So whatever is happening in the classroom starts to make sense. Now, despite doing this, there are some children who are not at grade level or in some areas they need some uh, concessions, some accommodations, as we call it, and some exemptions. Now, for instance, if there's a severe difficulty with language, one language, then the child would need an exemption from second and third language because so the child would drop Hindi and Kannada if it is second and third language and uh, because that would take away the pressure from the core subjects. But of course, um, we would encourage the child to go for the classes so that orally the child is, child wouldn't have a problem with picking up the language orally. Maybe reading, writing, spelling would be difficult. So uh, all the different boards have different uh, exemptions that they allow. But before you do that, you need to have a formal assessment if you need to avail of the uh, exemptions and accommodations. Now, each board has got uh, different uh, agencies or organizations which they recognize. Now, uh, for the state board, you have the Nimhans uh, Child Guidance Clinic. Uh, that's one in Bangalore. I, whatever I'm saying now is all specific to Bangalore. So I'm sure that in other cities also, there would be something like this. So uh, we have uh, in Mysore, we have the All India Institute of Speech and Hearing. They also do the assessments. Then the Victoria Hospital and the Maleshwaram Dyslexia Association. These are the main agencies uh, for the state board. So I'll first uh, mention all the agencies for each board, and then I'll go on to tell you what are the exemptions that are allowed. Oh, is that right? Um, then for the ICSC, we have uh, the Spastic Society of Karnataka and the NIMHANS. Both those reports are accepted by the ICSC board. And uh, for the CBSC, it's the Spastic Society of Karnataka again, and uh, St. John's uh, Hospital, the psychiatry department there, or any regis registered psychologist, meaning somebody who has a registration with the RCI or the Rehabilitation Council of India. They, you know, like doctors have their, uh, um, uh, like uh, medical association number, the RCI number has got to be there. Then uh, for the National Open School, it is the All India Institute of Speech and Hearing, uh, which uh, they accept. And uh, for the IGCAC and the IB, they would uh, accept uh, reports from any registered uh, or RCI registered uh, psychologist and uh, the school would directly uh, you know, uh, talk to the board. Now, um, the uh, first thing that is needed uh, is uh, what age do you start this formal assessment? Uh, earlier, it used to be accepted when, you know, even in ninth and 10th grade, first time when you do the assessment. But now many uh, boards are very particular that there has to be an assessment record at least at grade seven because uh, this is to prevent misuse of all these facilities. You know, somebody may not even be uh, having any difficulties, but they may try to use these exemptions and accommodations. And uh, it's important to keep repeating this assessment uh, with this particular organization, which is recognized every two years. So you have to renew your assessment report. And uh, it also helps, which is what now I'm advising parents is, uh, keep a record, you know, open a file and start putting all your assessment reports into that file. Don't share originals, don't give away the originals to anybody, including the school. You can get a Xerox and get it attested and uh, give it to the school because all these are very important if you need to avail of the uh, exemptions and accommodations in grade 10. So put, and also all the exam papers. Now, if a child needs language exemption, they need to see that this child has been having difficulties with Hindi or with Kannada right from the beginning. And even English, 
you know, if the child has to get other accommodations. So filing all the answer papers from the exams, from, you know, whenever. See, some children are assessed formally at age uh, grade three even, grade one even. So whatever assessment records you have, you have to file them in chronological order and keep them. And if there is a child who is on any medications for maybe uh, attention issues or so on, or there is any orthopedic issue which is going to affect the child's ability to write or uh, you know, be able to sit for a long time in one place, um, it's uh, quite a rare condition which we call as dyspraxia, where there is uh, difficulty with coordination of gross motor muscles and fine motor muscles, and uh, the child is not able to sit in one place for three hours to write an exam paper. So all these have got to be filed properly and not lost because they are very important. And many organizations won't keep records which are old, you know. So it's important to keep those. So that is one thing they need to have. Then they have to approach the school. Most schools will ask for a letter from the parent and say, you have to give us a request letter that your child needs these accommodations or whatever these people have suggested. And uh, then the school will draft a letter to the board, the respective board. So three things are important. One is the formal assessment report. One is the parent letter. One is the school letter. All three have got to be there. And if there is a concurrence across the three letters on what does the child require, what is going to help the child, then it's easier to get that. And what happens is the boards have their own people who uh, you know, look at these reports. And based on that, they will grant the accommodations that have been asked for or recommended, and they would uh, tell. Now, all the boards give these, but not all schools give these. You know? to you because uh, I just want, while you were talking, we were only talking about the boards and my next question would have been that, what about the schools? Because the child has maximum examination and tests happening in school and the boards come only in the 10th and the 12th. So how does the child, uh, you know, go through this journey? See, um, uh, CBSE in uh, particularly allows the school to give some exemptions at their discretion. They can give exemptions. Now, when I my experience with uh, working with the one mainstream school, which I mentioned earlier, uh, has been that uh, what I would do is, uh, you know, they would have uh, different rooms, like a regular exam, you know, uh, register number, all of that. As soon as the papers were given out, these children who had difficulties, who were identified, were sent to me to the library. So I would have at a time about 30 children with me. And uh, as it went on, as the exam went on, when the teachers realized there were other children who had not been identified, who also needed help, they would be sent to me. And uh, here, uh, the time was not fixed. These children would get extra time. And I would help them with reading the question paper because Understanding is not a problem. Reading is the problem. By not giving the child that help, you're making it look like the child is a problem understanding also. So uh, reading the paper, understanding the paper, and uh, 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 sometimes see the questions are not uh, understood by the child. So you've got to explain the question. You're not giving the answer. And there have been times where I have helped the child with spelling of whatever word he or she wanted. It may not be the correct answer, but the child may say, ma'am, I don't know the spelling of this word. Uh, can you help me? Because child is not sure about spelling, so won't write. And uh, there are children who have attention issues who will say, do quarter of the paper and say, I finished. I don't want to do, I finished the paper, it's all over. So you have to prompt them and you know, push them and say, no, I can still see some others. Come on now, let's see what about this, what about that. So doing this at grade three, grade four level for one or two terms, what happens is uh, that the marks of the child goes up, you know, and that gives the feedback, gives such a boost to the self-esteem of the child, which is so low, and the child feels more motivated to work. And uh, there have been children who have got this for three terms, and then afterwards weaned off into the class and never had to come back for this. I know, Jay. 
talking about this and i'm i'm not even thinking of it that we are talking about children with uh, learning difficulties it sounds as if we are talking about children in general because i've been yes. a for all my life and i've seen that in class you know every child will have that phase of just going into his own world and have yeah. paper right there and you know they'll skip one or two lines and answer half of it and uh, also i think having lesser number of children in class having teachers yeah. who are more committed to trying to understand what the children need and how does it matter if we are going to explain the question in general to everyone or just read yeah. it out and say darling just see you missed out something yes. over here and children can just get up and ask ma'am what is the spelling of this and we tell them there they they are writing the rest of the paper if once or twice if we tell them a spelling also we are not i, I think that's exactly in fact uh, i would make a remark on the paper of each child as to what was the help that was given and the teachers would mark it keeping that in mind and there's one case of one child you know who i worked with uh, from right from grade 1 and when he was in grade 3 uh, every exam it was important that he saw my face for some kind of reassurance and uh, i didn't go one day for some reason and uh, he gave in a paper that was incomplete not even 10% was answered so the teacher knew him so well she did not correct his paper and then she waited for me when i came back she said do you mind uh, you know sitting with this boy again when he does his paper so i asked him why didn't you do this you know all of these things uh, no it's very difficult for me so then when i just read out the question and i asked explained it to him oh i know all this and that year the child passed that paper with a b plus imagine because the teacher was willing to give him that chance so see my logic is if you don't give the support to children when they are in younger classes how are they going to be able to come up to the level of 9th grade 10th grade where they you know they still need help but maybe the amount of help they need will get reduced and i think and the boards are all so child friendly you know they have made so many things there for the children but uh, there are unfortunately we have schools where they say we don't want children like that you know uh, i really don't and uh, they'll say that we don't have children like that in our school i'll challenge anybody who says that 25 Thirty percent of the school will have children who have difficulties of some kind or the other. Absolutely, and like you said, from that incident that you said, it just hit me so much, uh, Jayshree, because it's all about understanding the child. It's all about just being in that child's mind and just trying to understand right. what that child is feeling, what he's thinking. And if you're a teacher who's invested in her children, I think you can just make a world of a difference to that child's learning. that's all there is and we the the number of cases that we are categorizing as children in learning difficulties i i think that's more to do with uh, us as teachers investing more time with the children than just boxing i call it as uh, not learning disability at times i call it as teacher disability though i am on the side of the teachers see they also are under so much pressure the number of children they have to you know deal with the kind of demands that are made on them with whatever work they have to give in and they may not be aware so it's very important to make sure that teacher training itself incorporates all this because every teacher can be a special educator you know and that would really really make uh, you know the learning environment so inclusive and you said so you have uh, all kinds of uh, exemptions and accommodations um like for instance uh, you get extra time so for every hour you get 15 minutes extra so if it's a 3 hour paper you get 45 minutes extra and then you have concession for spellings uh, marks are not minus for spelling errors see each board there are uh, differences but in general i am just telling you what are all the accommodations that are available then uh, some boards allow dropping of uh, math and science if it is difficult and uh, alternatively taking commerce or evs uh, instead of math and science uh, i think that's the cbse and uh, in uh, state board uh, they uh, allow them to drop math and science and take uh, economics and sociology where it's just about 70 80 pages and not very difficult uh, for the child to do 
And of course, you get second and third language exemption uh, where you drop Hindi and Kannada. And none of this affects the overall percentage or grade of the child or the chances of the child, you know, in later on going into pre-university or uh, plus two. Language uh, will not matter when child goes into plus two because there's no second language. They only have English as a language. But if they're going into the PUC stream, then yes, the, now the PUC board also, they themselves will, uh, you know, facilitate uh, these children for dropping the language. They don't have a problem. Then you can also get a scribe, you know, when the child has a difficulty in writing per se, the mechanical aspect of writing, maybe due to an orthopedic problem, it may be due to, uh, you know, not being able to focus attention, and so the scribe would be better. Now, um, the state board allows the mother or an adult to be a scribe for children who have a cerebral palsy or autism spectrum disorder, but otherwise it's usually uh, uh, somebody who is two years younger, you know, who can be the scribe. And uh, there are some, uh, uh, you can also get the use of a word processor where you can, you know, do your uh, exam on the computer and you don't have to write, or you have the voice activated software that is given. Um, then you have uh, readers where the child is not able to read, somebody can read and here it can be an adult. Um, then you have prompters, like I said, you know, child needs a push. So you have prompters where the children can be prompted to go on and uh, do, and also, uh, they give a 10-minute break every hour. In fact, uh, this 10-minute break or whatever movement is allowed because I remember when I was working in the valley uh, and I used to go for the invigilation of uh, you know, uh, the exams and uh, we had one boy who was dyspraxic and uh, you know, who did have difficulty with uh, gross motor movement, sitting in one place for a long time and so on. He was allowed to get up and move you know, down the passage uh, for uh, every time he felt the need to without making sure he doesn't disturb others. Children are allowed to use the loo, go for, you know, otherwise, you know, you're not even allowed to go because, okay, you may be copying, you may be getting chits or whatever, all those kind. There are people who do misuse all of these facilities, but uh, all those are given. And uh, calculators also for children who are dyscalculic, they give a simple calculator, which uh, does only the four basic uh, functions of addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. But uh, now um, the state board gives, but with CBC, ICC, it's a little difficult to get that. You really have to be able to provide the proper documentation and evidence. Um, that is very important. And uh, doing all this at the right time is also important. Last minute, if you go and ask, no board will give you. So. Uh, the ICSC, CBSC all registered in ninth for the exam. So they would prefer to have it then. Though they do make exemptions if, you know, in some cases. But otherwise, uh, you know, you cannot go at least six months, eight months before. I would say to be in the safer side, you should have all your paperwork done and send it in. And then you get the, you know, whatever you need to get, you get. And the board has its own way of identifying these children also. You know, the papers are bundled separately and sent. And, you know, so many other things they do. And in the marks card, that subject doesn't have marks. It doesn't say anything else. Because, you know, there are parents have all these concerns. And sometimes when children are that old, 16, 17, they also have their concerns. So, you know, you have to be able to address all of that. But I would say that there are a lot of uh, supports. We have to use them. And we have to make such a comprehensive uh, line of everything, Jayashree. And I think from uh, uh, what you've told us, I think for every parent who's out there, who's listening today, uh, the first thing that like uh, you suggested that everybody needs to understand what is the need of that child, what that uh, uh, the diagnosis needs to be done on time, the assessments need to be done on time. You need to go to the right clinics or the right um, uh, you know health department where you need to get certification done. There is a particular timeline that is needed because there is so much out there that can help the children and uh, you know give them that kind of confidence that yes you did it. I mean there's 
something holding them back and there is so much that uh, the government is providing the boards are providing the schools are providing it's all about i think understanding it i think voicing your opinion going forward and taking your child to get that uh, help that is available there uh, so when we when we talk about uh, all of this uh, i'm sure at this time of uh, pandemic uh you know your children you're not able to be with your children so uh has technology helped you uh, you know reach your children how how are you working with that uh we are working with online sessions um you know zoom uh, there are other uh, uh, tools which people are using google uh, classroom and you know uh, so many others that people are using uh, we are using zoom and uh, what we do is we get all the children to come together log in at one time so that they see each other because many of the children don't see their friends and they really look forward to it and there's it's quite informal we are very informal at least and you know a whole lot of shouting and saying hi bye and you know there's that where, where did you go why didn't you come and you know how was diwali and all that and then we have breakout rooms so you know we assign the teachers and the children into the breakout rooms and uh, the teachers initially it was quite challenging for our team because uh, well your uh, use of computers is limited to browsing the net or uh, you know downloading stuff and you know uh, emailing and so on and some of them not even that especially making worksheets and all that is all handwritten but uh, uh, what we have found is not only the teachers the children have become uh, have been responding so well but uh, it's like uh, you know that you have access to a lot of material now which you couldn't access before i would say that's the plus point of course the personal touch is missing see for these children many children like to be patted on the back you know like to be you know that personal connection is what is not there but it's still better than nothing i would say and uh, i think this technology is there to stay because uh, given bangalore traffic they, you know we come across uh, times where uh, we have children coming from some far off area where we can't even put them on to somebody close by you know because that is something that we are very particular about if you are coming from very far off no we will not enroll your child we will try and find somebody who is closer to you because it's not a matter of one day and if things get difficult there are very very clear chances the parent will give up the remedial sessions so we don't want that to happen because sustaining it consistently is what is very important so with the technology you know we are able to keep in touch with the child and uh, sometimes if the child is upset okay no work on that day whatever we've planned it would be talking it would be doing other things um but somewhere down the line after working for 6 7 months now we are noticing that with some children you know fatigue for the screen is setting in screen fatigue is setting in and i think it's also to uh, to do with uh, how some schools the duration is quite a long day for some children and uh, uh, shorter sessions with breaks in between would help a lot and uh, our sessions are all 45 minutes to an hour you know we have parents always arguing why can't you do two or two hours we say there is no attention you know that it goes so we have to you know juggle we have to do so many things you know we have to like sandwich uh, difficult things with easy things and you know introduce uh, uh, oral conversation or we play a video now you know so many different things but we have to keep our goals in mind and we have to work towards that i would definitely say uh, you know for our children with ld it's working but there are children who have uh, uh, like ot and uh, you know other therapies for which they're going where they're really really suffering at least speech therapy you know they can look at uh, you know the person the screen and they can still do something of course everybody is working to use technology to some extent at least to give the child whatever he or she needs so i think it's a real great effort from this whole community of professionals uh, who are working on this in fact uh, there are a lot of stories we hear also we have a uh, organized uh, an organization or rather association of uh, special educators and rehabilitation professionals 
called SERPA, S-E-R-P-A, where uh, now even people from out of Bangalore are joining in with that. So there's a group on Telegram and there's a group on Facebook also. Um, and of course, Brindavan, you will find the page uh, on Facebook and our website is also there where you will get a lot of information. But I would say technology is here to stay. And uh, the sooner we get adept at using technology to our advantage, the better. So that has definitely made a difference. Otherwise, nothing would have happened. Yeah. And I think so much. I have learned so much and I hope my viewers have learned a lot from today's session. And uh, in the end, I think if I had to sum it up, I would just say that uh, parents just uh, don't let those little things go unnoticed. Take notice of them. Get the children the help because there is so much that is available. Let the child, uh, you know, lead a very enriched, very fulfilling, happy life because all the teachers like Jeshree's right here, there are so many more out there to give them that support and help that is needed by them. Jeshree, would you like to give a last uh, message to our viewers, please? Well, I would say parents are everything. Parents are the whole backbone to this whole movement. Of uh, So each parent can be an advocate for his or her own child. Fight for your child's rights and accept your child for whatever he or she has. And then look at how you can build on those strengths because nothing is static. Everything is dynamic. And what was difficult today may not be difficult tomorrow. And I'm telling you this from personal experience. See, hiccups will be there all along. Even when your child is an adult, there will be hiccups. Which, which child doesn't have hiccups? Not just children with difficulties. Every child has difficulties of some kind. But you have to be there for your child. Accept your child, be there for your child, and walk with your child. So you are the best advocate for your child. Absolutely. Thank you with us on our podcast and uh, wishing you all the best with all your children and the work that you're doing so proud of that and thanks once again thank you Sabna